The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. In a five-week series, I think they're calling it Buddhism Basics, but it's basically meant to be a, as much as we can do in five weeks, a pretty systematic and try to do a, a good thorough job on Dharma the whole of Dharma teachings, and tonight we're moving more into the practice. So before we continue on, I, I want to check in first uh, with two kinds of questions. First, just around meditation practice, which is getting a little away from the theme of tonight, but if there were any particular questions, we'll just take a little bit of time if there's anything that came up maybe in your practice tonight or in general. Um, we can have a, just a few minutes. Yes. So I notice sometimes after like 25 minutes or so, I'll start to rock. And I feel like if I stop myself from doing that, that that's like more stressful. And then I feel like, but I'm supposed to be sitting still and just. No, you're not, not supposed to. There's no supposed to on how you're sitting. And so that can happen. Uh, Many, many different. That's not uncommon. And so you could just let the body do that. Um, it sounds like it's not a distraction. It's, it's more just what the body wants to do. And if you said yourself, if you were to try and stop it, it might bring up more agitation. Exactly. And yeah, yeah. So you can just let, you let it rock. And as long as you know, just be, you'll just be mindful and aware. We're going to talk about uh, mindfulness tonight, the, the seventh of the uh, factor of the Eightfold Path, which is right mindfulness. So... You can just be mindful of that happening in the body. It's, that's perfectly fine. Okay, thank you. Yeah. It, what it points to is um, a, a bigger question of there's the, there's the science and technique of meditation practice and there's the art. And the art really is what we develop is through experience coming to know what's needed in a particular moment, how much effort Sometimes we need a lot of effort. And sometimes what's needed is not much effort at all, but it's more just of a resting back and just receiving our experience. We use more passive kind of language around it. Um, sometimes we need to e- make a shift in, our, in what's happening, change our posture, do something. And sometimes we just need to let whatever's happening happen. Um, um, but the underlying all of that is just bringing the mindful awareness to whatever's happening in our experience in the present moment. And so um, that, if you've got that, that covers everything, basically. And then it might be a question of, are there things that are needed to take some hindrances or distractions out of the way to allow us to be, to be more easily and clearly present in knowing what's happening in the moment or not? So that's, that's and there's not a right or wrong or one set answer. So thank you. Any other questions or comments? Okay. Are there any questions or comments about anything we've covered up to this point? Great. So um, we've been, we've spent a lot of time focusing on what we're called, we start on the first night around uh, three uh, characteristics of all experience. 
And I, I think there's some people here for the first time tonight, and I'm going to just mention, we're not going to spend much time, but just to mention that because it segues into what it, why so much emphasis on mindfulness. Tonight we'll focus on the right mindfulness, and then next week will be the last element of the Eightfold Path, right concentration, which is kind of the culmination of all of it and brings all the other pieces together. And then we'll bring in a few other practices also that are commonly talked about next week. So why do we make, uh, put such an emphasis, make such a big deal around mindfulness practice? <coughs> well, we've been saying that what Bo- Buddhist teachings, what Buddhism's telling us is that if we just take a look and look, look around at ourselves and, and our lives and the world, any experience, anything that can be known, we see uh, what is one of the characteristics of any experience is impermanence, that things change. Things are in a constant state of change. Nothing lasts. So we've, we've repeated this each... Uh, that really is the whole Dharma right there. If we could really get that... Well, you could go ask anybody. Anybody, if you ask them if things are impermanent, they'll say, yes, that's true, but we don't live our lives as if it's true. Right. So what do we do? We, um, you know, we're, we try to hold on to the way things, we want things to be. Pleasant experiences arise and we, 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 the term is grasping. We want to hold on. We want to have more of what we want in life and more pleasant experience. Who doesn't? And we want to have less of what we don't want, less unpleasant experiences. Right? And that's just being a human being. This is what we spend a lot of time focusing on. And... Buddhism's not saying that that's a problem. It's just pointing out the human condition, that that's how we're wired to operate. And I think the first night I I got a laugh. I said, you know, is there anyone here who's trying to have less of what you want and more of what you don't want? And everyone laughed because, of course not. The problem is that because of this truth of impermanence, things don't last. So even if we get what we want, we'll enjoy it, it'll be pleasant, it'll feel great, and it's not, we're not denying that, but we just want to understand the inherent limitation in seeking our well-being and happiness in circumstances precisely because nothing lasts. And when things change, if we're not okay with it, that's when we suffer. And it's kind of a setup because we know ahead of time that nothing's going to last. Everything will change. We already know ahead of time. And we also know another characteristic of all experience, in addition to impermanence, it's related to impermanence, which is sometimes called suffering, but is, uh, I like, if you had a, it includes suffering, but I, I like, if you had to pick a single word, I would pick uh, unreliable or maybe unsatisfactory, in that we're trying to set life up how we want it to be. Many times it's not conscious, but it may be conscious or unconscious. We're living our lives the best we can, and sometimes life heads the way we want it to go, and then sometimes we, you, know, you, just, you, you just don't know. There's an unreliable quality there. Right? I woke up this morning for for example. And for those of you who are younger, um, 
you'll, you'll find out as you get older that what I'm about to describe starts happening more and more often. <laughs> I must have slept funny. I mean, I've really pulled something in my neck. I don't, I don't know what I did. I, I didn't notice pulling it or jerking my neck, but it's, it's I mean, I'm okay in this moment to be here, but um, I can't move my, it, 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 I messed up my neck. <laughs> For no apparent reason that I can see. I didn't have any control over it. It just happened. Right? So, now my neck hurts. So that's a suffering. If I'm having to make a problem about that, I'm adding a whole other level of suffering on top of it, of the pain of the neck. So that's kind of a s- small example. But there's, we can look at all aspects of our life in this way. Life is, un- is uncertain. It has a certain suffering quality to it. Uh, much of the time, you can look into your own life and see how much of your life, it, how much of your time is spent in some kind of worry or concern, or if you've ever had a vague sense of just maybe even life's going okay, but something's missing, or you're, you're just not fulfilled, or you know, it's sort of that this isn't it kind of feeling. We may not even know what it is. It may be a vague sense somewhere out there, but we know it's not this. Right? That, that's, a kind of, that's what we mean also as kind of a suffering. We use that word for that. So this is the condition that Buddhism's pointing to. And it's pointing out the fact that in response to that, what is it that most of us do most of the time as human beings? When unpleasant situations come, we reflexively, reacti- out of reactivity, we just, you know, get, me, get this away from me or get me away from this. We have to change it. It just happens that quickly. It's unpleasant. Or if it's pleasant, we're holding on to it. We want, we want it. And what happens is we, it's, it even goes a little further because we fall into a trance. All of this is a trance that we're in, but the tr- part of the trance is when things are, un- are pleasant, we forget often that they're going to change. And we just think, oh, things are great, and we just fall into it. We're not being asked to deny things or push them away or distance ourselves or not let ourselves have the experience. But we just want to be aware that when they're here, we can appreciate them, and when they go, we can let go and move, move on. Likewise, when unpleasant is coming, we, we, as, as we, experiences are here, we forget, and we, think, we forget about impermanence. Again, we think they're going to last forever. And we appreciate the truth of impermanence when what's happening is what we don't like and we don't care for it generally so much when what's happening is what we want. So this is the situation. We spend a lot of time teasing this all out in more detail. If we could really get this more deeply, live from this realization or this this understanding more of the time, we would understand that the path to we would understand the limitations in seeking our happiness in circumstances and we would start to pay more attention to how is it I'm relating to whatever's happening, not just what's the experience. So using this example of my hurting my neck, I'm much more interested in how I'm relating to what's going on in my neck than what's happening. 
Obviously, if you have something going on it needs tending to and you really need to be concerned about it, of course, you want to take care of yourself. But we also want to look at how am I relating with this, whatever it is that's happening. You know. This is why the liberation or the enlightenment or the awakening that Buddhism points to is called a liberation through non-clinging. What we mean by the non-clinging is one way, there's many ways it's talked about. One way is, in the, given the way life is, can we, we're not going to change it. It's not like you, you have this great awakening and impermanent now becomes permanent. Or when you have an unpleasant experience, you know, my neck still hurts, it's unpleasant. But I'm not creating a suffering around it. So there's a place that, where the heart and mind just rests at peace. Pleasant and unpleasant both come and go. If we really got that, it would shift our quality of being and that place of, that's this inner peace, we can carry with us more and more. If we say, great, don't cling, you can't do it. Except in a moment, but you can't keep it up because we'll just contract around whatever's happening again. So we need some help. And this is what insights are about. This is an insight meditation center. So the whole idea of insights then are perceiving deeply into the, the, just the nature of reality, the nature of our own minds and bodies. And so we come to see by having more insights we come to see that things really are changing we, we, that, that reality becomes more part of our lived experience and that there's an unreliable nature to things or suffering quality that can come to life and so we can know that that's just part of how life can be going back just to this meditation just check in with yourself the, the sitting we just finished how was it for you? you know, it might have been just fine, might have been pleasant. I'm guessing given the size of the group, just statistically for a fair number of people here, it was probably an unpleasant experience. And I see some heads nodding here. Now, well, that's not true for everyone. I happen to have had, been having a pleasant experience. That's, you know, you never know what you're going to get. <laughs> It's worth checking in sometimes, especially when it's unpleasant, because what is it that we've, we've, we were asking people to do here? We actually didn't give instructions tonight. It was silent. But in general, if you've been taught in this style of meditation, what you've been instructed in is find any posture you want that's the most comfortable. Right? Uh, you don't have to make anything happen in your experience. Just have the experience you have. Just be present, mindful of what's happening, but you don't have to make anything happen. And just sit quietly and be present with yourself and how hard that can be. Just to sit quietly with ourselves. You know, we, find, we start to see that our minds are completely out of control. You just try to do something simple like stay with your breath. Maybe you get three breaths or whatever it is, depending on how your mind's training. Next thing you know, 15 minutes later, you wake up and it's like, where was I? And you were just off in whatever, fantasy land or daydreaming or complaining about this 
darn meditation or whatever it is that was going on with you, and then you wake up and, oh, I'm supposed to be back to the breath, and then you come back. By the way, that's, a, that's, that's an insight right there to start to, to seeing how out of control our own minds are. It's a big insight, an important one. And so then, what we realize, we need some trainings, and that's what this eightfold path is, is starting to put into practice. How can we start to train our minds? <laughs> The importance that of the so this is leading up now to where we're at now tonight about right mindfulness, the seventh factor of the eightfold path. We're really getting into the meditation heart of the meditation practice. The whole purpose of the mindfulness is to bring this. So mindfulness it's defined in many different ways. I define there's the practice of mindfulness and the actual state of mental state of mindfulness. I define the mental state of mindfulness as, as knowing what's happening in the present moment as opposed to what I call being on automatic pilot. And I mean, you know what I mean by automatic pilot? How we live probably a lot of our lives. So you're still awake, you're going through your life, but you're just immersed or caught up in things. And there's kind of a waking up in a moment that happens and you just know what's happening. Right? perfect example is if you say, say something happens, I don't know, I'm just making up an example. Say you're at work. Someone comes up to you at work and they're upset and they start criticizing you. And then and maybe you didn't do what it was, maybe not, you didn't feel like you deserved the criticism and maybe you're reactive back. Why are you doing this? You're, why are you, you know, and there's some reactivity, right? That's very different from just knowing, oh, this person's upset. Hmm. I'm feeling defensive. I don't have, I'm not caught in it. I'm not identified with it. I'm not reacting at it. I'm still having all the experiences. You're mindful of what's happening in the moment. You know, and you actually have more choice then in how to act or respond, hopefully, rather than react. Right? And closely related to the mindfulness is what's called clear, clear knowing or clear comprehension. Being present in the moment or awake in the moment, if you will, knowing what's happening, mindful, and it allows us to more clearly perceive what's going on. So they're closely connected. Mindfulness and clear knowing. As we deepen and strengthen mindfulness through these practices, um, we, in addition to knowing what's happening on the everyday level, we actually start, without having to go looking for it, become more and more aware also of these characteristics of impermanence when it's there. When suffering arises, we, can, we know it's happening. When the mind is reactive even, we can be aware and mindful of that. So, you know, you hurt your neck, for example, there's the pain of the neck, and... There's the times if the, if the mind is just not making a suffering and is at peace about it. And if I am making a suffering about it, that becomes more known and seen also and we can let go of our suffering around it. So everything becomes illuminated more through the mindfulness. That's why it's so important. That's the part of these in, point of these insights. So right mindfulness the seventh factor of the eightfold path is actually defined as something and this is what I'm going to spend most of the rest of the time talking about on what's called 
the four foundations of mindfulness. And this is very important. It's a big deal. It's talked about a lot. So you don't have to memorize all of this, but if for some of you, you'll be hearing it for the first time. Um, I'm going to not go into every detail of it because it's real, it's a big, there's a lot of practices in there, but I'm going to just give you the main points and I will also point you to some resources if you want to explore it further. And really you can think of it as a lifetime of study and practice. So there's these four foundations of mindfulness. If you come to a center like this or you go to a place like Spirit Rock, you will learn, you're really being taught four foundations of mindfulness. So I'm going to talk, tell you what it is, and then I'm also going to name a range of ways in which it's put into practice, because there's not just one way to meditate. And then now we can start looking at, you can see, well, perhaps if there's a way you're practicing that fits in some of the ways I'm going to mention. I'll mention a few of the main ways. There may be others that I don't mention. Or you may be interested in some of these other approaches that you may want to try out for yourself because it's not a right or wrong. It's just what, which one works for us the best. Okay. So basically what the Four Foundations of Mindfulness is, it's a framework it, uh, for bringing our mindful awareness to any aspect of our experience. Our minds, our bodies, external experiences, internal Anything you can think of will fit with, is, is in here. And it's presented in a structured way to help us get a handle on things. One of the things that happens th through deepening mindfulness practice, some of you may already notice this in your own practice, is we naturally, without having to go looking, become more and more aware of what's happening in our minds and bodies and all our experience. We're more mindful. We just clearly know what's happening more. So that's a fruit of practice. My, so you don't want, when you're meditating, you're not going to be able to remember all of these and you don't want to stir your mind up. But you just want to take this all in, let it inform your practice, then you want to let the words go and just keep your practice simple. So these four uh, foundations of mindfulness, the first one is mindfulness of the body. Mindfulness of the body, it, it, the first foundation, it's actually divided into six different kinds of groups of practices. This, it's just the complexity goes on and on. And with time, for those who are dedicated practitioners, over time it probably is useful to gain familiarity with it. And you don't have to go off and try to memorize it all at once. That's a lot to do. But just with reading about it, looking into it over time, you'll just gain facility. So it's just naturally at your command. And you don't have to think about it at all. So I'm not going to name all six of the groups of practice. Each of those we can go into a lot of detail on. There's all these details. But basically, let me give you the basic idea. The first of the six, six is mindfulness of breathing. That's actually a body sensation, right? Wherever you connect with your breathing, whether you feel the cool air in and out at the tip of the nostrils or deeper up in the nose area, whether it's at the physical movement of your belly rising and falling, your chest, your whole torso with each breathing, each breath. However you experience your breathing in your body, that's the first foundation. Second foundation is, is uh, 
the second practice of mindfulness of the body is called the four postures. Sitting, standing, walking, or lying down. I think that's got it pretty much covered. So we actually can start to be mindful of the position of our body. And when we're lying down, we can be mindful of that. When we're walking, we can bring it into all postures, just connecting with our bodies. Sometimes when we're connecting with the body, there's a lot of to, to be known or experienced. And other times, it may just be a general sense of the body and no strong experiences poke, jumping out to our awareness. So that's fine. It's however we experience the body. So, so mindfulness of breathing, four postures. And then the next is... Uh, being mindful of the body in all of our daily activities. Just going about our business through the day. If you're sitting in a car and driving, you can be aware of your body. If you're brushing your teeth, if you're going to the bathroom, if you're eating food, bathing, anything. Doing sports, anything you're doing. So you get the idea that it's giving us specific ways that it's talking about to keep in mind to, to pay attention to the body. And then there's some other practices I'm not going to get into tonight of the, the, the remaining ones in there. We've, already, we've only touched on the first foundation of mindfulness and already there's a lot of pieces and it may, you may be feeling like, well, this is getting complicated in a hurry. But remember, I'm going to come back in a few minutes and I'm going to uh, suggest a few different ways that you can approach the practice and it's, it'll be simple. So don't, don't let your mind spin out about that. Okay. So mindfulness of the body. The second foundation of the mindfulness, uh, second foundation of mindfulness is what's called feelings or feeling tone. If any of you, some of you are writing, you don't have to know any Pali, but if you're interested, there's a word called, with a V, Vedana, V-E-D-A-N-A. That's what we translate as feeling or feeling tone. It has a particular meaning. In normal everyday usage, when we say feelings, we mainly, mainly, mainly refer to moods or emotions. You know, I'm feeling happy or sad or angry or whatever. But that's not the meaning here. It has a very specific meaning, which is every experience we have, whether it's in the body or it's mental, is either pleasant, it's unpleasant, or traditionally it's said neither pleasant nor unpleasant. Another way they say that, they say neutral, but it just means it's kind of in between. And sometimes something can be it, we're not sure, it's subtle, so it might be slightly... You know, we, don't, we don't need to worry about that. You don't have to get it. But it's just like with my neck. I don't have to think about it. It's, it's, I, there's the sensation itself, which is kind of this... I can get it, you know, it's... Let me see, it's shooting, aching. It's got a, a bunch of... You know, it's not just one, actually, as I'm paying attention. It's, and it's unpleasant. I just know that. I don't have to go... You just know, Right? So if you're not sure, fine, that's in between, neutral. That's the second foundation. It's knowing the pleasant, unpleasant, or in between feeling tone. That's important because what gets us hooked and caught and reactive often is this feeling tone part. If the person comes up to me at work 
and is criticizing me using that example I just gave you, really the core underlying issue is this is unpleasant. Right? If what they were doing was complimenting me, I probably wouldn't react in anger or defensiveness. I might react in a different way or I may, who knows, right? It just depends. So noticing what's going on. So if you're sitting here meditating earlier tonight and you were having trouble, say you were restless, it's just like, you know, you're new to meditation. Maybe your mind isn't, or maybe you're not so new. It's, you're still having a, right? And your mind's just not settled down. You're not having this, where's this meditative bliss that everyone keeps talking about, right? You're having a different kind of experience. We can get caught in it reactive, but if we actually then are mindful of the fact that your experience is unpleasant, that often unmasks this, this aversion, this, this grasping. And it can allow us then to at least do the best we can to let go around it and try to relax into the experience the best we can. So being mindful of the second foundation on feeling tone is very, very important. Very, very important. Okay, clear so far? Okay. Body, first foundation, mindfulness of the body. Second is feeling tone. The third is what's called, I'll just call them, they're called mind states or states of the mind. It's not referring to thoughts, but there's a specific list that's given. Um, the first, let me just name a few parts of states of the mind, give the idea, is, is grasping for pleasant experiences present in the mind or not is aversion or the euphemism is greed, hatred, and delusion. Is that in the mind or not? But what we mean when we say greed, it's any kind of, even if it's a little, of holding on to something pleasant. You know, there's a pleasant sense input internally or externally and the mind's going to, to it. Is that present? Is there something unpleasant happening and is there aversion in relationship to that unpleasant feeling tone? And the delusion, that's a big, there's always, by definition, in, in our tradition at least, until you're, you know, whatever, a Buddha yourself, uh, there's, by definition, uh, we would say there's always some delusion in the mind. But it's, it's really not seeing clearly what's going on. So we can start to be more mindful of the, the fact of if there's reactivity in the mind or not. So it's not that your mind can never be reactive. So there's two kinds of places where the mind, where you can rest at peace. One is, there's just not, you're, you're, there's no reactivity. It's actually the experience of being peaceful and tranquil. And for those of you, and certainly through meditation, we'll talk about this next week because some of these meditative states, that's the right concentration, the, eight, the last of the Eightfold Path. Very, very important. We're not getting into that tonight. That's all the bliss and all the stuff that people generally think their you know, meditation is about. And that, that, that is important for sure. What's mo more important, though, is just being mindful with whatever's happening in the moment, not grasping after the bliss, right? So anyway, that's one kind of peace. There's another kind of peace where all kinds of storm, emotional, mental storm clouds can be blowing through the mind. And yet you can rest at peace with it. You can know that your mind's being reactive and there's another place deeper underneath that sees it, knows it, go reactive mind, and it can still be 
the mind can, the deeper place of stillness and peace and equanimity. Does that make sense? A few people are kind of squinting. It, it's, it's possible. A, a big shift happened in my own meditation uh, when I got just as interested in my suffering as I was in my bliss. Changed everything. Because the, the place, the deeper place of inner stillness and wakefulness sees that these states of the mind and heart are also impermanent and unreliable, just like, just like our external world. All these characteristics apply to our own bodies and minds. You know, they come, moods come and go, thoughts come and go. Sometimes we're just in these meditative states and it's just blissful. And sometimes we're, what's going on is really buffeting us around. We, we can have depression, we can have uh, great happiness and joy. There's just a huge range. We can be worried, we can be confident. There's just, you know, the whole range of the human experience. And rather than being identified with it, we can just be aware and know what's happening in our own hearts and minds. That's what this third foundation is pointing to. And then the fourth foundation is, is uh, the most complex of all. And it's basically, there's a whole list. It's, I don't want to actually spend much of any time on it tonight except just to say there's a fourth foundation which is paying attention to, in more detail, to the ways in which we create suffering and get caught. So, for example, um, if there's certain sense inputs we have, maybe there's things we see, and we know that that's, when we see that particular person, for example, we, that's going to, we, we, our minds get agitated or we, we have unkind thoughts, for example. Then we would know, oh, that's a particular visual sense input that, creates difficulty in the mind and what might be wise and skillful would be maybe not to be around where that person is or something like that. That's just a simple example. But it's, it's, it's a lot of details about ways in which we can get, create suffering and ways to uh, create more wholesome states when we're not suffering around our experience. But let's just leave it at that for now. If that didn't make sense, uh, I, I just don't want to say more about it tonight. What's important is the first three foundations, at least for our discussion here, the fourth foundation is important too, the first which it, three foundations, which is basically bringing our mindful awareness to the full range of the experience in our minds and bodies. Inner and outer experience and how we're relating to it, whether there's greed and aversion or not in the mind. And that can seem like a big task because if, if, if we don't have a handle on how to approach it, we just sit down to, okay, I'm supposed to be aware and there's a lot going on and it can seem like too much. So what I'd like to do then is name a few different ways, a few of the main ways I can think of that people practice mindfulness meditation. And to simplify it down. All, the, the, the main thing to remember for now is, is that it's just being aware of our bodies, what's going on in our minds, our emotions, the pleasant, unpleasant qualities that can associate with it too. If you come to uh, an intro meditation class here, I'm guessing a number of you have done that, right? 
the way you'll basically be taught is to start with what's called mindfulness of breathing, being aware of your breath, and just find wherever it is in, you, in your body you feel your breath, the easiest and the clearest. Put your attention on that. And without making a struggle, let everything else stay in the background the best you can. And let give some preference to feeling your breath as your main, we, the, the terminology we use is, is your primary meditation object. That's the way it's typically taught. And we're doing two things by doing that. You're practicing mindfulness of what's going on, feeling the, strengthening the knowing of what's happening, but also by staying with the continuous object. Even though breath is a changing object, it's also there's a continuity to it, so it helps develop the concentration, the part we're going to talk about next week. The ability of the mind to not be so out of control and to be more settled and present and clear and concentrated is the word we use, right? That's what's happening. And then what's typically taught is, it, it, it's how, depending on the teacher, the way that um, mindfulness meditation is taught can diverge, even in coming here to the same center, depending on the teacher. One way it might be taught is, once we work with the, the breath and we use that to help us stabilize in our practice. We don't give any particular emphasis to any object, the breath or anything else. It's taught as just being mindful in the present moment with whatever's predominant in our awareness. And you're, and you're not giving any preference to the breath or an itch or an ache or sounds or moods or emotions, whatever's happening, you know, experiences are coming and going, whatever's predominant. So I, have, have, have some of you heard meditation taught that way? Some of you, yeah. Another way that meditation practice is taught is give emphasis to the breath throughout your meditation practice even if you've been meditating for many, many years, that that becomes, you give it some preference, but when, we don't go, we don't have to look for what's predominant, but when something else comes up in our experience that's strong or compelling or that calls our attention, so it's not so easy to stay with the breath, that's when we know to let go of the breath and we really put the attention on this new experience. So if you're sitting long enough, say for example, and there's, I don't know, you have knee pain and it gets stronger and stronger, then we could let go of the breath and we could go right to that <coughs> knee pain. Right? Stay with it however long we want or an emotion comes in over this reactivity in the mind in relationship to the knee pain. It's preventing you from being peaceful and quiet with the breath. It's screwing up your meditation. Now there's anger. So now you're mindfulness, mindful of anger, right? And you just, whatever's needed to tend to and at some point if it all settles out, the default or the home base is to come back to the breath. That's another way that it's taught, right? So just in those two ways that I've talked about practicing, it's keeping it simple. Now, what's, I'm going to name a few more in just a moment, but some people find that that first style I mentioned of not giving any particular preference to the breath, but just being mindful moment to moment with whatever's happening, works naturally very, very well. It's a nice fit for many people. 
And then there's many, many people who find that that's not very, doesn't work very well because it's too, they, they need an anchor or something. It's just like, it's, it's, just, it's too diffuse. It's hard to get a handle on. And, it, you know, so you can see how it is for you. And others find that giving the, it's the anchor to the breath, or there's other practices too that we won't get into tonight that also, breath meditation actually isn't the, main, the best main meditation object for a certain percentage of people, maybe 10 or 20% of people. Um, for various reasons. I'd be happy to talk to you offline if anybody wants to about that. And there's a whole bunch of other practices you could do. You could do loving kindness practice that, instead of the breath or mindfulness of hearing sound or there's a lot of other things people do as that home-based practice. So just within the... Uh, and so p- then, then there'll be people finding, you know, keep letting, giving that preference of the breath that really gives the stability and makes it so much easier to naturally then know as the concentration and the mindfulness deepen, to know what's happening as the other experiences and be able to be with them. Let me name a few other ways that mindfulness, the four foundations of mindfulness is taught. You could work systematically through them in this way. You just stay with the breath, that's your practice. And then once over, whether it's in daily life or on retreats or however, however you're practicing, at some point it's just based on your own judgment. When you feel like you've gotten the stability through the breath, then you consciously can open up and say, well, now let me start paying attention more towards the four postures. Because I can, I've, I'm a little more settled, a little less distracted through the practice. And I can be more aware of my body more. And then as that deepens, you could say, well, now let me be more aware of my body through all activities. You know, you can, it, it's ever subtler. And then now my mindfulness is stronger, my concentration's better. Now I can start to more easily notice the pleasant, unpleasant, or in-between feeling tone when that's there. And you're not going to notice all of these at once, you, you, it's, you, but you know, you'll just naturally, you'll know which, you know, if anger's, if, if an unpleasant feeling tone's there, if, when the mindfulness deepens, it, it just pops right out to your awareness. You know when to be with the feelings of the sensation and when to know the fact of its unpleasantness. And then maybe for many people, the states of the mind, whether there's grasping or aversion or how we're relating to experience, maybe that's subtler. So once we've worked our way through systematically, now we come to this third foundation and now we can more easily and more naturally know what's happening in our minds. So that's one approach. Another approach picks just one of the foundations and it becomes your, enti- your main focus, even though you'll always have times to open up to the others. So, for example, uh, there's a teacher who's kind of been on the scene in more recent times. I think Andrea Fella tends to practice in his time, <coughs> Utejania, and he tends to focus on this third foundation of mindfulness where, you, where really you're, you're predominantly paying attention to the quality of mind that you're bringing to, that's meeting any experience. Of course, you'll be aware of other experiences too. So for some people, that seems to work okay. For many people, and it's not a right or wrong, it's just a, you've got to see what works. For many people, it's just a bad fit because it, you can't, it's too subtle. You can't get a handle on that. And so you need to stay with your breath or something. So you have to see. 
all of the ways I've just mentioned on working with... And by the way, it doesn't matter what you're being mindful of. That's, that's the good thing. It's the act of practicing the mindfulness that's important. You don't have to get the right object. So how, however you practice mindfulness is fine. Mindfulness of breathing alone in, our, in the Pali, the early Buddhist tradition, is considered to be the full practice, and that's all you, you could, that could be your whole practice. In fact, that happens to be the way I practice that uh, my whole practice, I've been meditating f- uh, for 40 years, my whole practice is mindfulness of breathing meditation. That's not actually accurate. Because I'm going to tell you another way that you can practice. This happens to be the way I practice. It's not better than any other way, it's just I'm going to just share you a different way. You can see, you may relate to it or you may not. The way I've practiced is, everything I've just described is more prescriptive. It's prescribing how to practice. Another way you can look at the four foundations of mindfulness is as descriptive. It's a description of what happens if you just start at the beginning. Just by being mindful of your breathing. So on one hand, you could say it's your whole practice. I could say it's my whole practice. But actually, it's doing two things, as I said. It's strengthening the samadhi, that's the word we'll learn next week, concentration, and strengthening the mindfulness. And just through doing that, I'm, the awareness naturally opens up into all the four foundations of mindfulness. Just through mindfulness of breathing alone, so you can check it out in your own practice. For those of you who've done it, if you're newer, you won't know this, you'll have to experiment. Just by being mindful of your breathing, but doing it in a way that doesn't cling to the breath and doesn't push everything away and say, I've only got to be on the breath. It's just giving a strong preference to the breath, but also a malleable sense or an openness, a softness around it. The awareness either will naturally or can be, there's ways it can be guided to, to open up to the whole foundation of mindfulness. So you just not only are with your breath, but around the breath, you just know what's happening in your body. You know the Vedana, the pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. You are aware of what's happening in the heart and the mind. It's all opened up. And it's a, as I said, it's more of a description of what happens just through mindfulness of breathing meditation. That's a little different style than the, the other, which is giving no preference to anything and just staying present in the moment by moment to whatever's happening and moving the attention from different objects, say. You get the sense of a few different kind of approaches there? For those of you who who will be here next week, we will say a little more about this in particular because, uh, and this is the last piece I want to mention, and then we'll have a few minutes if there are any questions. Um, Mindfulness meditation is often taught as a separate type of a group of practices from what's called concentration meditation practices. And I'll explain this explicitly next week so we don't worry about the details right now. And that's fine. You can practice in the style that separates them out. This other way I'm talking about, we're using, staying with the breath but practicing so that it opens up the four foundations, it actually synthesizes concentration and mindfulness. It, they're not separated out. It's one practice that brings them both together. Insight, mindfulness, concentration, it's all come into one. So there are different emphasis on how meditation's taught too. And again, that's going to be a personal preference. Do we practice in a way where, you know, I'm 
if you just do mindfulness meditation, of course it's going to develop concentration in your mind and stability, steadiness, undistractedness. But you're just emphasizing the mindfulness aspect. And if you're practicing in a way, again, I know we haven't described the details yet, but that's focusing really on the concentration side, this still, as you'll see next week, it still brings in the mindfulness, but it's emphasizing the concentration aspect. And then there's this way in which they can also be just brought together where they're equally emphasized there too. All these different approaches. And from what I can see, I think the good news is, because there's these great masters around who practice in all these different ways, people seem to be, go very deep in the practice in all these different approaches. And so that's good news because it's telling us there's not a right or wrong. There's only what's the, what, what fits for each of us best. Okay? So, any questions or comments? Anything about that? that was a, that's a lot. Before, yes, and before we end, I'll give you a couple of references if you want to go further into the uh, Four Foundations of Mindfulness. I don't know if there's a question, just, just a comment. Um, the meditation where you're not on your breath, I've heard it referred to as resting the mind. I've also heard within Zen called just sitting. It's when you do nothing. You just let your mind, just, you can be aware of your mind, but you're not really focusing on anything. Well, what I've done for a long time, long period of time, and I never realized it until your talk tonight, uh, I've set my timer for 40 minutes, and that, that time is spent just on, traditionally on the breath, concentrating on the breath, and that's fine. After the timer goes off, because I really enjoy doing this, I spend oh, fifth, about 15 minutes, it's what I call just sitting, just resting the mind, so I'm doing both. But I enjoy that. I feel good. I feel gratified from when, I, when yeah, I'm great. doing that. So I got both. Yeah. And um, I just will, I, I, I'm not, this may not be a direct response to what you're talking about because I don't know, this, when you describe in the resting the mind, it could be a number of forms. I don't know exactly what you're doing. And I'm not trying to, well, but it sounds like you're not spacing out. You're trying to be present. Yeah. As yeah. opposed, right? Yeah, sure. Wait. You don't go to sleep. Right. You don't go to sleep. Yeah. So, um, there's another style of practice that I don't, I kind of pointed to, but I don't think I really said tonight, which is, and you'll hear people you speaking about the meditation is just resting in open awareness. And so some people kind of get the sense of what that is. We don't have time to get into it. Some people might, what does that mean? But you're just present. You're not awake. The awareness is kind of has a spacious open quality and it's not picking objects, but it's more about having the spacious, open feeling of awareness within which experiences are arising and passing away. So some people, again, and can relate to that, and that's fine. Uh, for uh, many people, it's too, if, unless the concentration is there um, to support it, it doesn't work well. Because until maybe, you know, for you, perhaps, you know, you've done practice, you have the stability, and it's too diffuse, or you're just spacing out, you know, just to go to resting and awareness. I will say that through mindfulness of breathing meditation and other practices, it actually leads you to a space like that, but comes out of a deep concentration 
And then the stability and the presence is there and there is an open, spacious awareness. This is getting a little more into next week, but um, when we'll talk about the different styles of concentration. Anyway, so thank you very much. Clear enough for tonight? I hope it wasn't confusing and, yeah? Okay? Yeah. Yes. Just a moment. I think they, I think they want the, to please take the mic so it can go on the recording. Uh, could you just repeat the, like, the titles of the four... Stay, um, yeah, the four foundations of mindfulness. Yeah. Yes. The first four foundations of mindfulness. Um, first one is mindfulness of the body. Second is what we call feeling tone, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. And the third is, we'll call it states of the mind and heart. And I, uh, or just say states of mind. So body, feeling tone, states of mind. And what I specifically focused on, there was more things in the list I didn't get to, but the important part really is, was there what we call greed, hatred, and delusion in the mind or not? Is there, how are we relating to our experience? That's part of the third one, right? That's the th part of the third. And then I didn't say much. I was probably added confusion to the fourth. It's that one, dependent origination? What's that? Dependent origination? Yeah, not in... Uh, dependent origination is a huge topic. We're not dealing with it at all on this. Uh, it's actually a central foundational teaching that we're not... Uh, we've actually touched on aspects of it during, this, uh, during our series, but we're not getting into dependent origination here. So, so what's the fourth one? Uh, in Pali, it's dhammas, which means things, and it's basically, uh, I'll just put it out just to answer your question, but it's, it's I, I, since we only have five minutes, I'm not going to be able to answer, but it's basically, um, you know, Buddhism sometimes called a religion of lists. There's the four this, the seven that, and, just, and, and, um, and that there are lists of lists. The fourth foundation of mindfulness is a list of, let me count how many is on the list. Five lists, and each of those lists have a lot of qualities. Um, five hindrances are in there. If, if for those of you who know this, for those of you who are new, you won't know. Five hindrances, five aggregates, six sense bases, seven factors of enlightenment, and the four noble truths are all in there. So it's coming to know all of those lists, uh, not only know them but understand how to work with them wisely and skillfully. Okay, thanks. So that's why I left. I didn't get into that. So let me just say, um, here's a few uh, resource I'll give you. Um, you don't have to write this down because you will come across the four foundations of mindfulness over and over and over again. It will be taught. And just through osmosis, by sticking around the Dharma scene, um, it really is all you need. For those of you who are interested to study it, which I'm very supportive and encourage, um, there's one book you can get, and this really goes probably the deepest, most thorough book. So it might be a lot, uh, but it's, it's by a man named um, Analayo, A-N-A-L-A-Y-O. This is right, A-N-A-L-A-Y-O, and it's called, I think you're going to have to come up to me afterwards, but it's called, it has a Pali word, which is the Pali word for the four foundations of mindfulness in English. The Pali word is, it's a tongue twister too. It's a satipatthana, S-A-T-I-P-A, 
T-T. S-A-T-I. S-A-T-I. P-A-T-T-H-A-N-A. Satipatthana. The Direct Path to Realization. That's a good book. The other thing I would recommend you do is if you go on, uh, just do a web search on Four Foundations of Mindfulness, you will find many, many, many articles that are quite accessible on there. Um, I apologize because I'm realizing that some of this is kind of, I'm throwing, uh, if it's too much. Um, here's another thing you can do. You can contact me uh, if you want to email me, and I'll, uh, I can point you to a lot of more spe- specific things if you want to get more resources. But doing a web search will work. If you want to know how to email me, come up afterward and let me know. I'll give you my email, and I can send you um, a number of good, accessible resources. The real important thing is to find what works best and is most supportive in your own practice, in your own uh, in, uh, to deepen uh, your mindfulness. Well, we'll let's end then. Um, we only have. It's almost nine o'clock, so we'll do a very short ending. I think we've only got a couple of minutes. So I invite you to, so we're going to use our mindfulness. Perhaps you already are mindfully aware of what's the experience in your body, whatever's going on, whatever's going on in your mind, your own heart. Perhaps you... um, there may not be much going on in your experience, just a sense of being here, or you may really have something. You may have tiredness or hunger, or maybe in the mind there's things you liked or don't, didn't like about tonight, or things carrying through from your day. And to notice, so as you notice that, that's practicing four foundation mindfulness right there, just checking into your body. If you want to use your breathing to help you, that's fine, or just feeling right into your body. And then also to notice how, how are you relating to whatever's happening. So you're having your experience right now. How are you relating to your experience? That's, we're actually doing third foundation of mindfulness right there. You don't want to, in practice, you don't want to stir your mind up thinking like that. I'm just pointing it out in the context of our topic tonight. And even if your experience is unpleasant, can there be a sense of letting, just allowing yourself to have your experience or letting be? And, uh, you know, sometimes it's not so easy if, if what's going on is difficult for us, it's not so easy to just allow ourselves to, ha- to let go of the struggle. And so if there's a place in you that cannot so easily let go of some struggle with what's happening right now, then bring some acceptance for that place in you. Be mindful of that. Let that be. I invite you to take a few moments to reflect that um, you have 
every one of us here, you have, we've all used our time wisely together this evening, knowing we could have done anything with our time, and you came here to, to spend half an hour meditating. It's not always so easy being present with ourselves, coming to know our own minds. And you stayed here and did it. And then listening to a talk and reflecting about as we recapped a little, very, very quickly and briefly about some of these Dharma teachings around impermanence and suffering and then tied that into the importance of mindfulness and then talking about these four foundations of mindfulness, how we can actually put mindfulness into practice. So you've reflected on cultivating these wholesome qualities of mind. You've actually spent some time doing it. Um, so really it's some appreciation for your own good intention, if you will, or your own good motivation that really wants to explore these topics. You wouldn't be in a place like this if you weren't interested in you know, delving deeply into these Dharma teachings. It's really a place of appreciating our own good impulses, our own good motivations, or you could say just appreciating your own goodness, the wholesome qualities of your own mind. We often spend a lot of time reflecting on what's wrong with us, or we could say the unwholesome, or our judgments at least about it. And of course we want to have times to bring our discernment to those aspects of ourselves, um, but so important to spend uh, at least the equal amount of time reflecting on the wholesome, the good, the beautiful, if you will, qualities of our own hearts and minds. If there's anyone here having trouble connecting with, finding any goodness within you, I invite you to come talk to me afterwards. I'll hang back. That, that, it happens. More, more often than, than you may think. People say, I can't, there's, I can't find any good in me. And all you need is somebody to point out what's so obvious. So um, I'll leave that to you. And finally, uh, we'll end by the dedication of merit, um, recognizing that it's not possible to practice for ourselves alone. You cannot do it. As we open our own hearts to be more loving and kind and compassionate and we train our minds to be more awake and clear and less out of control and more clearly knowing what's happening. It, of course, benefits ourselves, but it benefits everyone that we come in contact with. So even if you're not conscious of it, you actually can't do this work for yourself alone. And then we can add a level of intention, if you will, uh, intentionality, knowing we don't, we're not practicing for ourselves alone, and it's really a sense of offering what we're doing for our own benefit, for sure, and also for the benefit of of all others. So may we say, may the power or the force of our of our good efforts. Traditional language is may the merit of our time and practice together be for the benefit for the liberation of all beings. May all beings everywhere uh, be happy and peaceful. May they be safe, be at ease. May all beings everywhere come to an end of suffering.
So thank you all.